Hey everybody, welcome to Valley Church. I love that you're able to tune in, click in, to watch wherever you're watching from. It's so good that we get together like this. And I'm sure you're all like super refreshed because you are back. Like we have made it through the holiday hustle. Like so many of us thought we saw the finish line and uh, and it was good, right? I mean, Thanksgiving and then uh, Christmas and then we rush in the new year. Uh, I don't know where you're at. I don't know if you want to cheer or holler. Let me hear you yell if you had a chance to spend time with family and it was good time, you were excited to see aunts and uncles and grandparents, just family members. I hope you're cheering. I hope you're clapping a little bit. I hope you're at least thinking, yeah, I had a good holiday. Uh, but as much as many of us look forward to that time of year, it can be so crazy. It's like running a marathon and juggling cats, right? You know what it's like juggling cats? I wouldn't juggle puppies because I like puppies, but it's like crazy, all the nieces and nephews and, and all of the noise, uh, it, but it's, it's worth it, right? It's worth it for all of that family time and that togetherness, uh, those, those warm, fuzzy feelings and moments where everybody is together and laughing and, and celebrating celebrating and sharing. There's nothing like it, but let's get real for a minute. Like uh, uh, who here also felt a tiny bit uh, of joy when you were able to get back to normal, when you were able to maybe send the chaos back home, right? It's okay. You can admit it. If you're driving and listening, just honk your horn. Uh, and if you're afraid to, just wink at me. I mean, I'll know, I'll know that you're out there. You know, I don't mind all the chaos, actually. I, I, I love chaos. I love noise. Well, the right kind of chaos, I guess, right? I mean, I've got so many nieces and nephews, and for the most part, they're excited to see Uncle Brandon. Uh, these kids are crawling all over the place, and they're yelling, and they're screaming. They're celebrating. They're singing. Um, and I recently found out why I love all of that chaos. It's because I'm the one everybody loves sending home at the end of the holiday, right? Get that guy out of here. He winds up our kids. Uh, I love instigating all of that stuff. And, and some of us, we just feel like whatever that feeling is over this holiday hustle, it, it's really what we just call life, right? I mean, we are constantly moving from thing to thing or, or season to season, or maybe we're moving from chaos to chaos. And, and the, the holiday season is just one of those seasons of chaos that comes after a season of chaos, but also right before a season of New Year chaos, right? And as much as I love to instigate a little bit of, of chaos, uh, because I like the energy and the excitement and the noise. I also need to spend some time in retreat. I also need to rest. I need to find some solitude. I'm in desperate need of moments of solitude in between peaks of chaos and interaction and doing and being. And I can hear some of you right now saying, you're talking to me about rest and retreat and solitude. You're like, my life feels so chaotic. I don't have room for solitude. And I would challenge that. And that's what we're gonna challenge today because maybe if you would just make room for some solitude, you might actually feel like life is a little less chaotic. And when you uh, feel like you just have no time and you feel like you're moving from thing to thing or place to place or season to season or chaos to chaos, there's never been a more important time to get intentional and to get creative with ways to find and experience solitude. Uh, no one was ever in higher demand than Jesus. I think we can all agree with that. Uh, he, he was, he was uh, sought after by many, and yet he still found time for solitude. 
You know, uh, in Luke chapter five, verses 15 and 16, we read this. But the news about him, about Jesus, it spread even more. As he was doing ministry, as he was doing miracles, like his word uh, was spreading. It was going far and wide and large crowds. They would come together to hear him, but also to be healed by him. Like these people just wanted a piece of Jesus. Nobody in scripture was ever more wanted than him. And when people heard that there was this man with a special kind of power and authority, they wanted a piece of it. So people flocked to him and, and they flocked to him by the thousands. And people, when they came to him, they were hungry. And, and Jesus actually fed thousands. They clamored for his miraculous touch. They loved seeing his miracles, but they begged to be physically healed. And do you know what Jesus did time after time? When the crowds came, of course he loved them, of course he served them, but time after time throughout scripture, we see verse 16 pop up. And yet he often withdrew to deserted places and he prayed. Jesus often like just hit the eject button when the, the need was seemingly the greatest. Time after time, he continued to withdraw to deserted places. And, and that actually seems a little backwards, doesn't it? It seems a little backwards seeing Jesus leave the scene where there's a great opportunity to serve. And you know, I mean, like if your neighbor had a problem and you could easily solve it, you'd probably help him out, right? Yeah, I think you would, of course you would. Like if it was, if it was quick, if it was easy, uh, if the need was great and you could absolutely do it, even you could do it quickly, why would you hold back? You wouldn't hold back, would you? Of course you wouldn't. Uh, that's how we see this scene if we see Jesus as somebody who came into this world to fix our problems. We kind of feel like he should just do all of the fixing and the healing. Why would he leave the crowd? That's so easy for Jesus. Jesus was constantly serving people. We can't forget that, that he was constantly doing many good things as he went from town to town and place to place, but he knew that he could easily get stuck doing good things at the expense of doing the right things. You know, Jesus, he loved and he served people who had problems, who had burdens, who had questions, but he didn't let demands distract him from what mattered most. Jesus knew what they really needed was spiritual healing. You know, and, and, and even though the crowds came to him, and, and I mean like big crowds, you know what Jesus did time after time after time? He deserted to special places, to quiet places, to lonely places, and he prayed. You know, on the list, if you had a list, if we could ever find a list of who is the most important person to ever live, Jesus would be number one. He'd be at the, at the top and there would just be so much space between the second person. Now, no person has ever existed who was more important than Jesus. You know, Jesus, he was the best teacher. Uh, no one spoke with authority and direction like Jesus did. Uh, his miracles were amazing. People had never seen anything like what Jesus was doing, the authority that he had, the, the healing of people of many sicknesses and diseases and casting out demons. Are you kidding me? This guy was doing so much for his community and for the world. He was the biggest influencer of his time and throughout time. And even though he had so much to offer, you know, he was, he was offering so much of what people wanted. He still prioritized prayer and getting away. Look at Mark chapter one, verse 35. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he got up and he went out and he made his way to a deserted place. And there he was praying. You know, in the original language, 
the, the Greek word for deserted is the word eremos. Uh, can you just say that? Just say eremos. Uh, eremos is uh, abandoned. Well, it's, a, it's a lonely place, but not like you're lonely, meaning that there's nobody around. It's, it's quiet. It's a solitary place. Eremos means solitary space. And, and uh, if we continue to follow that verse where Jesus just gets away, eventually Simon uh, and some of his friends, they search for him. They find Jesus. They're like, what are you doing? Everybody is looking for you. And in verse 38, we read, and Jesus said to them, let's go on to a neighboring village so that I may preach there too. This is why I've come. Jesus didn't let people's expectations, no matter how reasonable they sounded, no matter how, how urgent they seemed, distract him from spending time with his heavenly father doing what he came to do. You know, some people would, would see this moment as, as unloving or as selfish. Are you kidding? All the power you have, Jesus, and you're going to go be by yourself? But what many people don't understand is it's only when we spend time with God and allow him to fill us up that we have anything life-giving to offer to others. Jesus needed to do this so that he could do all of these other wonderful things. Jesus knew he could help people. He could heal many. He did heal many. He, he saw crowds and he fed thousands and thousands of people. And, and we know that healing people is a good thing, but creating a movement of disciple makers and, and laying down his life for the salvation of the world, that's what he was here for. He wasn't here to make one life a little better. He was here to make all lives better. In order for Jesus to effectively do what he was here to do, he needed to regularly retreat into God's presence. And he prayed, that's where he prayed. This is true for all of us. We make time for what matters most. And some of us may have made the wrong things matter. We've let busyness matter most, and we've, we've let distractions matter most. Jesus says we gotta get creative and we gotta get intentional with prioritizing our time. You know, Jesus modeled this for us. And here's something I had to learn. I wish I just knew this. I wish I just knew this, but I had to learn it. I am not needed nearly as much as I think I'm needed. I think I wanna be needed. Uh, I want people to want me, but I'm not needed as much as I think I'm needed. You know, and there are times when, when I'm like, I need to do something or I need to do this thing or I need to do more things or, or maybe I'm thinking they can't do this without me or they don't know how to do it. A lot of times I just think they don't know how to do it right. And then there are even other times where I'm just like, I'm just gonna do it because I can do it faster than it'll take me to explain it to you to do it. And my life is just full. My time turns into busyness. And what's true is I actually need to just prioritize the things that only I can do. I've got to prioritize the things that only I can do and not try to do every good thing. The chaos in my life has the potential to knock me out of where I'm needed. I love being a dad, I do. I love being a dad so much. I love being a husband, I love my wife. I gotta tell you right now, my youngest kid is 12 years old. And when Carrie and I had little kids in the house, I loved being around these little kids. Just not all the time, right? 
And, and I know somebody's listening to this and they're thinking, when I have kids, I'm gonna be the greatest mom or the greatest dad the world has ever seen. I'm gonna hug them, I'm gonna love them, I'm gonna hold them, I'm never gonna leave them. I'm gonna be around them all the time, right? Just wait, <laughs> I'm telling you. You're gonna want, you're gonna look for moments of solitude. And I had to find moments of solitude for my sanity, but also I needed to find moments of solitude so that I could uh, refresh so that I could be the best husband and the best dad I could possibly be. Uh, I just wrote down three things. Here's three ways that I had to get creative on finding a little bit of solitude. Uh, walk into the mailbox. You know, at our house, we live in a neighborhood that has a mailbox on the corner. Unfortunately, the mailbox is literally in front of my house, but it's still, I mean, you could take uh, like a minute to get there. And, and many times I would take four extra minutes, right? Uh, so many times that maybe my wife would be like, hey, what are you doing? I'd be like, I'm taking uh, a walk to the mailbox. And she's like, you checked the mailbox three times this week. It's my turn. Uh, you, sometimes you just get creative and you order small, cheap things every day from Amazon to make sure you have to go take that trip, right? Uh, I'm telling you, here's another one. And if you haven't done this and you got little kids, the walk around the car. I don't know if you've done it yet, but, but uh, you know, when you go on trips or, or especially vacations, especially with little kids, they can just be so exhausting and loud and noisy and needy. And you're, you're packing their bags and you're packing the car and then you're packing up the kids. And when you shut that door, silence. <laughs> that 13 second walk around the car might be the only vacation you get on your vacation. It's good solitude, it really, is it brings a little bit of sanity to the scene. Uh, how about this, the restroom? I, I'm not getting graphic here, you already do this. Uh, you know, there are so many of us that just escape by going to the restroom and camping out for 20 or 30 minutes and none of us are keeping like a stopwatch timer. We just wait for that pinky toe to go numb and we know I've been here too long. Am I wrong? Am I wrong? I don't know. I don't know, don't miss this though. You've got, if you're taking notes, please write this down. Finding solitude is not about escaping from our responsibility. Finding solitude is about escaping to responsibility. This, this isn't an excuse to stop loving and serving other people. The reason we prioritize alone time with God is because it's in deep relationship with our heavenly father that, that we can be filled up. And in those moments, as he's filling us up, he's enabling us to better love and serve others. That's exactly what Jesus did. That's what Jesus modeled for us time after time after time. And by the way, let's not fool ourselves in thinking that all of our time is eaten up by doing good things and by serving people and by, you know, spending so many countless hours at church and with our life group and with our, you know, a lot of our time is just eaten up by a constant need to scroll or to stream or to browse. Maybe we don't have time because we're just constantly killing time and we haven't identified that. Let me say this one more time. If you feel like your life is so chaotic, you don't have time for solitude. If you made room for solitude, maybe your life would be a little less chaotic or, or you might just be better prepared to handle the chaos. Look at Mark 6, 46. After he said goodbye to them, he went away to the mountain to pray. Uh, when you look at this at first glance, it's just, it's like the simple scene. And you can imagine Jesus loading up his little disciples on a boat and pushing the boat off and just waving, see you guys, 
I'm going to go retreat to the mountains and pray. You do your thing. I'm going to do my thing. But context is key here. And, and what happens here, it, it, it changes everything. Because this moment, it comes right after Jesus fed thousands and thousands of people. Picture this, a massive crowd of hungry people, possibly impatient people. And Jesus turns this chaotic situation into order by creating food from just a few fish. He fed thousands. He used his disciples to serve. And then he, he sends his disciples on a boat in this moment, pushes them across the Sea of Galilee and retreats to pray. And while Jesus is out praying, a storm hits and his disciples are in full panic mode. Here's the remarkable part. Jesus, in the midst of back-to-back -back demanding situations, he finds time for solitude. He finds time to be with God. He doesn't create excuses. He doesn't avoid the time. He finds time. You know, we often jump from one chaotic situation to another. We're constantly moving and dealing with life's challenges and you know, Jesus' example here, it's a powerful lesson that no matter how hectic life gets, making time for God is an essential part of our spiritual walk with Him. It's the way we recharge. It's crucial. And it's not just about finding peace in the chaos. It's, it's about anchoring ourselves in God's presence so that we can navigate whatever comes our way with wisdom and with grace. You know, and then in Luke 6, 12. Jesus is literally hours away from choosing 12 disciples. Luke 6, 12, 12 disciples, and he prays for 12 hours. I love this. Jesus already had a large number of disciples at this point, And from those disciples, he picked 12 men, 12 servants who would be with him, who would do life with him. Jesus spent an entire night in prayer before choosing. Look at, look at Luke 6, 12. During those days, and let me just tell you real quick, those days... That's, there's a little bit of an undertone there, during those days. And what, what Luke is trying to communicate to us is that Jesus has already launched his ministry, a ministry that's only gonna last three years. Uh, news about the things that Jesus had said and done, it was spreading and it was traveling. So there was, there was more uh, stress and, and urgent need. The crowds were coming to see him and hear him and be healed by him. And even though many liked him, hostility, where Jesus was growing. And it was in those days that he went out to a mountain and he went there to pray and he spent all night in prayer to God. You know, all night on the side of that mountain. You know, this mountain very specifically was the Mount of Beatitudes. You've heard the Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes, Matthew chapter five, six, seven. I mean, like the greatest sermon that has ever been preached ever. Jesus went over to that mountain and he found a little space, a little, a little cave to pray in. And we, we don't really know if this cave is the cave, but there are only two caves on the Mount of Beatitude. And this is uh, in direct like travel point from where Jesus would have been. Let's look a little closer. You can see that this cave is on the mountain, but it's, it's a small cave. And I mean, like when I say small cave, I've been there and it's really cool, but it's less of a cave like you're imagining a cave. Zoom in a little more. It's more like a park bench. Jesus found a little huddle and he spent all night here praying. And while we don't know if this is the cave for sure, many still think this is where Jesus spent that night praying. And if we, if we look at this next shot, 
you can see what it would have been to be in the cave, to look out at the Sea of Galilee. I mean, wouldn't Jesus have been praying to his heavenly father, but still able to see his disciples? That's a view from inside the cave. It's amazing. It's beautiful. It's wonderful. And, and as he's sitting there or, or kneeling there or standing in there, I can imagine he's hearing the wind. He's, he's seeing the moon glisten off of the water. And I, can you hear what he hears? Nothing. <laughs> he's, he's found solitude. Jesus prayed in a solitary place. Look at this. Here's a, a little shot of the Aramos cave overlooking the Sea of Galilee on the mountain where Jesus gave his best sermon, the best sermon ever. I love this. Location matters. Location matters in the Bible and in our lives. And, and while I've been to this cave, I've sat in this cave. It's really cool to be there and to experience this biblical location. But being at this location, it doesn't make me special. I'm not special because I was in that location. I wouldn't be more special if I touched something that Jesus touched that doesn't set me apart. Location matters because God still meets with people in very specific places and spaces. Jesus is showing us that location is connected to our attention. You know, this, this Eremos or this solitude uh, in a cave, it's a pivotal moment for Jesus and his ministry. Jesus picking the 12 disciples, 12 hours of prayer. Uh, he spent all night. And do you know why? Because of how important that decision is. He was choosing men who would be uh, in his inner circle, his closest friends. These, these men would travel with him and, and be sent out by him. He was choosing men who would set the direction of the church forever. You know, there were many disciples at this time and from them, he knew who he would pick. But he went to a private space and prayed to his heavenly father and said, God, who would you pick? Look at verse 13. When daylight came, he summoned his disciples, the crowd of disciples, however many disciples there were. And it wasn't 12, it was way more than 12. And from those, he chose 12, whom he named apostles. And if you keep reading in your Bible, you just see the list of 12. We don't know the rest, but we know that he spent all night praying for those decisions. This is a big deal. It's a big moment in the life of Jesus. It's a big deal for the future of the church. It's a big decision. And that's why Jesus got away to pray. Jesus' habit of, of seeking solitude for prayer, it highlights the importance of personal communion with God. We desperately need that. We need to get away from the distractions of life, the demands of people or our jobs or even our kids. And that doesn't mean we neglect our kids. It means we need to make sure we're fresh and whole so that we can be the best for our kids. You know, for Jesus, these moments of solitude were, were not just a retreat from the crowd, but an intentional pursuit of his father being in his presence, seeking out his guidance. It showed his dependence on and intimacy with God. He's setting an example for all believers to prioritize their relationship with God through personal, undistracted time in prayer with him. You know, in, in these times of solitary prayer, they were, they were moments for Jesus to recharge spiritually, 
but also for him to, to gain strength for his ministry. You know, these times, they were vital for maintaining his focus so that he could be on mission and aligning his attention and actions to God's will, especially in the face of all of the challenges he was already facing and that he would ultimately face. And by following this example, you and I are reminded that spiritual strength and guidance are found in quiet times spent with God, not just in public, not just in our small groups, not just at Bible studies. We need some Eremos with our Heavenly Father. You know, Jesus practices withdrawing to pray. It demonstrates that effective ministry and, and service. They, they come from a deep, nurturing relationship with God. You know, our actions need to be grounded in prayer and guidance so that we can receive divine wisdom. If Jesus needed to get away to spend time with this heavenly father, how much more is that true for us? I can't even, right? Uh, he just a few things. I just, three things as we close up. Jesus showed us where to pray. We just see it all over the place. I mean, uh, sure, Jesus prayed in public, but he prioritized undistracted time with his heavenly father. It's what he did. It's what he did and, and he did it a lot. He needed, to, he needed to do it whether he was busy, whether he was drained. He went there when he had needs, when he had questions, when, when he needed direction. Jesus went there when things in the world seemed urgent, but he knew that time with his heavenly father was more urgent. Jesus made time for what mattered most. So he often withdrew to an eremos place. Second thing is Jesus, he, he taught us where to pray. Like he, he demonstrated it, but he also said, uh, let, me, let me show you, you know, where to do this. Because it's not just something that he did. Getting away was also something that Jesus encouraged. Look at Matthew 6, 6. When you pray, go into your private room, shut your door and pray to your father who is in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. I love this. I love it. Jesus is teaching his disciples, listen, public prayer is fine. We've done it. Jesus did it uh, before the resurrection of Lazarus. I mean, like it's not bad to pray publicly, but it's wrong to pray in vain and it's wrong to, to pray just to be seen. And there were people who wanted to show everybody how holy and how important they were by praying loudly and in public. And praying to be seen is a problem, but praying in public is not a problem if you do it with the right heart and the right attitude. Jesus did it. The church in Acts came together to pray. Prayer's not about you. It's not about me. When I'm praying, it's not about me. Prayer is for communion with God and for the unity of the church. And even though praying in public is okay and praying with other Christians is encouraged, we still need an Eremos space. We're constantly connected to things that are inconsequential. I think we all can identify things that are inconsequential. That doesn't mean they're bad. It just means we're connected. And I got to tell you, for me, I need to unplug from the inconsequential on a regular basis so that I can plug in to being fully present with God. And it's not like we need to go uh, inside a cave or inside a closet because that's where God is hiding. Jesus got away from the crowd so that he could just be with his heavenly father more intimately so he could give his full attention. 
God meets us in spaces and places. And the cave is, is just an ordinary place, just like a, a closet or a private room is an ordinary space. And God does not need the quiet space to show up. I need the quiet space so I can listen up. Here's our third one. Jesus taught us how to pray. He showed us, he lived it, he told us, but he also taught it, right? Uh, in, in Luke chapter 11, once again, we see uh, Jesus was praying. He was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, uh, one of his disciples came up to him and said, Lord, uh, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples to pray. And we don't, we don't see the disciples asking this question in Matthew chapter six, but it's the same exact moment. And let me read it to you. And maybe from the King James version, because I know I'm more familiar with what Jesus says. He says, when you pray, pray like this. And he says, our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors and do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. This isn't how Jesus prayed. <laughs> this is what Jesus taught us to pray. And the reason I know Jesus didn't pray that prayer is because Jesus doesn't need to ask for forgiveness. There's not sin in his life. He says, if you wanna know how to pray, let me teach you how you should be praying. And then I gotta tell you, if you don't know, the Lord's prayer is a model. I mean, like you can pray it word for word. You should certainly memorize it. It's so good. But we don't just pray that prayer and walk away. It's the principle of going to God, being in communion, asking for specific things. It's a model. Hey, when you pray, do it like this. Do you have a solitary place? Do you have a private room? Where is your Eremos place? Where's that place that you can go in the chaos, like especially in the chaos when, when you need direction or clarity? Where is it you go when you actually need to unplug so that you can recharge? to spend time praising and worshiping and, and seeking clarity and finding joy and communicating with your heavenly father, being in relationship with God. Where's your Eremos place? It was a priority for Jesus. I can't imagine like if there was a graph showing how much more it would be a priority for you and I. Here's how I wanna close. If we could just pray the Lord's prayer together and again, we're praying out loud and in public for the unity of the church and for the encouragement of the saints. And as we do this, this is a good thing, but don't lose out on finding your Eremos space. Wherever you are, would you just recite this with me? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Love you. Have a great week.